0: Hello my friends, today Joel is talking to Manish, the Executive Vice President of Engineering at Coinbase, and they discuss Coinbase's mission to increase economic freedom in the world, building the infrastructure to support future innovation in crypto, and exciting future use cases for blockchain. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast.
1: Yeah, while growing up, I think um, I was into uh, watching my dad put together things that were broken. So I grew up in India, Bombay, Mumbai, and uh, things would break all the time. And the idea would be to repair them. And my dad being the handyman of the house, he would put things together. And that's when I got, it got drilled into my head that you should be an engineer and uh, how to build and just learn to build things, right? And fix things and build things. And then um, I went into engineering school, gravitated towards computer science because I just felt it was something that I was good at, understanding logic, instructing the machine in a way that would make sense. And uh, then the rest is history. I got sucked into engineering, the computer engineering, got my bachelor's there, and then ended up to, in the U.S. for my master's.
0: Well, that's pretty cool. Were you working on any cool projects for your master's?
1: So the bachelor's, actually, uh, I was working on um, what we call, like at that time, it was artificial intelligence using, this was very early, pre-AI becoming such a big thing. Handwriting recognition was one of the projects that I worked on, which was fun, very exciting. When I came here, yes, there were a bunch of very interesting projects in terms of networking. But UIUC, again, like I I went to Urbana-Champaign, and uh, that's a phenomenal school. Learned a lot from great people around me. And um, yeah, lots of cool things, like just being uh, exposed to this massive institution with so much funding in computer science. Like that was very foreign to me, right, coming from India. And then... uh, that I think that just opened up the aperture that there is so much you can do here. So yes, there were things in um, I think f- like simulation and AI, like uh, UIUC is great at that. So lots of exposure in that space, absolutely.
0: And then what was your first job after college?
1: So um, from UIUC, I actually my first job from UIUC would be probably my internship. I interned at Microsoft, <laughs> but then uh, after. Um, After graduating, I decided that I want to be in the Silicon Valley because there was this calling, right? Everything at that time, at least, happened to be in Silicon Valley. So I decided to come here. I worked at a company called Excite at Home. Most viewers and listeners may not even remember the name, but that was one of the pioneers in providing Internet over broadband cable. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, However, that did not last too long because that company went under with the dot-com bust in 2022. And uh, that's when I stumbled upon Google. I can go on and describe to you my Google journey.
0: Yeah, tell me about Google.
1: So at uh, Google, when I joined, it was just 200 people. Uh, We were around 80 engineers, did not quite know who my manager even was. Uh, so a bunch of uh, engineers working on great things. I was uh, responsible for uh, building billing and payment system. So that was one of my first projects. The company grew very fast and uh, joined as an IC, of course, but then over time started to take on tech leadership, over time management, and then um, worked on a variety of things in advertising. Like we tried TV ads actually, and uh, that did not go too far, <laughs> but then we bought YouTube. And um, that was a fun journey, like helping YouTube monetize, coming up with various ad formats that worked for it. So that was fun. And that got me into uh, advertising overall. So display ads, video ads. And over time, I became responsible for what we called the advertiser platform. This was everything that advertisers would need and use to uh, set up their marketing campaigns, get the best ROI. And uh, yeah, it was like... uh, being responsible for the crown jewel of Google because most of the revenues flowed through AdWords. And that was what I was responsible for with an amazing team. And uh, towards the last four years there, we ended up rehauling the entire stack that advertisers would use and building it ground up all the way from the database to the API layer to the UI layer. And that was fun. So, um, That was a marathon. Uh, It uh, was landing pretty well in 2018 when I decided to entertain a phone call from Lyft.
0: (laughs) And then I want to talk before we go into Lyft. I want to know. All right. So you were at Google, I think like 16 years, right? It's quite a while. Yep. How did you go from like just getting there right after your Microsoft internship? And how did you get to the top? Like Looking back on it, what made you successful there?
1: It was never something that I felt I want to do, as in like continue to climb the ladder or something. Uh, What made me successful? I think every time I would uh, work on something, become good at it, then the question would be, okay, how do I amplify my impact? How can I make uh, this impact be broader around me? And uh, those are the kinds of things that I think naturally made me want to seek opportunities to just amplify what I do. So um, I think as an engineer, I first became expert in billing, then in parts of advertising. And uh, over time, I get then gravitated towards a little bit of leadership and management because uh, it was a funny story, actually. When I was writing some, I was about to build a very new project, and one of the junior engineers comes to me and says, hey, Manish, tell me what should I do next? I'm done with my task and I'm like well go figure it out but then I stopped myself and then said no you know what i think um, this is something that uh, maybe you will not be able to do why don't you do this exciting project that i was about to embark on i will go figure out what i what we need to do as a team next and i think uh, that honestly is a light bulb moment because um, it the lesson i learned from that is that it's a uh, it's a good idea to be able to focus your time on things that only you can do. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and have, and whatever you think other people around you can do, even if they are not fully ready for it yet, it can provide stretch opportunities for others.
0: Yeah. Somebody had told me once, can't remember who, but they had said something along the lines of like, take your most important task and put your best person on it. And I was like, at, when, at the time of hearing it, I was like, that sounds odd. Shouldn't I be doing the most important task? And he's like, you should be coming up with the next thing and your most important thing should have your best person on it. And I was like, oh, that's actually really hard to argue with. That, that sounds better. And then I adjust how I think, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think ambiguity is uh, not something that everybody is comfortable with, right? And I think that comes with experience.
0: You mentioned ambiguity in your job post on Coinbase. That you they like do? People- OK, Yeah, yeah, they do. They they literally said that uh, in the in, under the engineering leadership section because I was looking, I was just browsing the jobs. I, I find that you can often tell a lot about company culture by looking at you know the job postings. So I was looking at en- engineering leadership, and there is actually a bullet point saying something along the lines of like being comfortable with ambiguity or understanding it or something along those lines. Yep, hundred percent.
1: Yes, I think as leaders we have to be able to uh, find the path in ambiguity, right? If it is purely mechanical, then I think uh, that other people can do. But for leaders, they have to navigate uncertain, unforeseen circumstances.
0: Absolutely. Like COVID, right? And I heard you guys exactly. um, uh, went like completely remote first. as an or- Was that during COVID?
1: Yeah, it was actually in the uh, early days of COVID. This is before I joined Coinbase. And uh, Brian made a bold... Of, it of the company to embrace remote first instead of uh, trying to fight remote. And uh, with that, there is just so much uh, opportunity if you think about it. Like being remote first and leaning into remote, you get access to so much talent. Talent is everywhere, right? We leaned into it heavily. We said we are going to be a fully remote company. or Not fully remote. Maybe the best way to say is remote first, because we do intend to have some physical spaces for people if they really want it. But the idea is that we should be able to hire anywhere, right? People will no longer move for opportunities. I think that's the future of work. Opportunities can be available to people no matter where they are. So I think that, uh, that has played out really well for us, honestly. Like if we were to uh, be go if we were to go back to the office or try to go back to the office, we don't even have the physical space. We have grown so much in the last two years.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's um I think we're making as as humans, I think we're making a full circle, right? We started off as uh, like migratory right? And then we stopped and planted roots. And I think now that we have food and shelter and everything, everywhere we want to go, we're going to start Mm -hmm. to see an uptick in people migrating around again.
1: Yeah. And unless you ask someone where they are, you never know where they're dialing in from.
0: Yeah. And it's hard because like, where's the best place to live? It's dependent on the season. So why not have a life where you can like go wherever the best season is? Exactly. Yeah. I'm biased. Yeah. I, I just, um like about a month ago, my wife and I, we sold everything we had in our house and everything, and we went full-time in our RV. Isn't that crazy? Yeah.
1: <laughs> that is crazy. Where do you live?
0: So we're spending a different season in a different place. So right now we're in Asheville, uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And then for winter, nice. we're going to be back in Florida, where we're both from. And then uh, spring, we're going to be in Austin, Texas, and summer, we're going to be in Denver.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. I'm assuming you can't do this until your kids go to school, or maybe by the time even school will be all remote first.
0: Yeah, well, we're we're actually homeschooling the kids. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We I don't know. We had a couple friends that were doing it, and um, they get together. So like you would imagine that they're isolated, you know, but the everyone that does the homeschooling comes together in these groups and they like meet at the library and stuff. So uh, I was like, yeah, let's try it. And if we don't like it, then we won't do it.
1: Yeah. I will say though, uh, doing remote first is is not a straightforward thing also, right? Because you can have people from all over the world in a given team and that can create other challenges, which is uh, how do you ensure that you're all able to effectively collaborate? Right. So we had to think through that as we scaled, by the way. Uh, So, what we came up with was that we will identify three broad regions in which we will have teams. And these are pretty big regions. Honestly, they cover the entire globe. So, it is Americas, Zamia, and APAC. And within that region, you can be in any latitude, right? You can be in Canada, like in Americas, you could be all the way from Canada to, let's say, the southern tip of Argentina once we start hiring there. And um, it almost doesn't matter, Right. You you can be aligned on the time zone uh, without um, staying up late in the night and uh, have a regular life and be part of a team that is fairly diverse even, right? Because there are all these different backgrounds that are coming together to build an amazing team. And then you have to think about how you um, make sure that each of these regional teams also have autonomy. So that way they can execute on their own. They can be independent decision-making as much as possible. So I have to say we are early in our journey on that as we are scaling, but uh, those are the principles we have aligned on and uh, we hope to learn from it as we build our company in a very global fashion like this.
0: Now, how seriously do you take the remote first? Like if you have a group of people in the office, like four or five of them, but then another four of them are remote, do you make everybody in the office like go into separate rooms and they all get on their laptop?
1: So, that is the intent. The intent is that everybody dials in from their own desk or a phone booth. However, we have not enforced that yet. So, uh, because until now, we have not created any of these office spaces catered towards this, right? We still have these big conference rooms with uh, massive presentation screens. And uh, it's natural for people to huddle in a single conference room. But the intent is to get to a world where... We have, whatever office space we do create, we'll have ample phone booths or desks where people can just put on the headsets if they want to and dial into the meetings from their desk, from their separate phone booth.
0: I love it. Oh, and for the, for the, maybe like the 1.0001% of people that don't know what Coinbase is, can you tell us what it is? Coinbase. Oh my God. Uh, So
1: that's a long, it's going to be a long answer. It's okay, yeah. Okay, so Coinbase, it started off with a very simple idea, right? It was a radical idea that everybody should be able to to buy Bitcoin and uh, hold it and do some basic things with it. So uh, this was the very first crypto asset. It was started in 2012, and that's how this became a company, just letting people buy something that was kind of growing, becoming popular at the time. Now, our mission has evolved since then. So, what is our maybe that's the pithiest description of what Coinbase is. So, our mission is to increase the economic freedom in the world. Now, you might say that's very broad. Well, yes, it is. Uh, It is a very long term, very broad vision. But we think the way to accomplish that is by actually providing an open and freely available global financial system, right? So, that's what we are actually working towards. And we think that once you provide access to financial services, people end up uh, using them to uplift themselves, get a better lifestyle. It improves their financial well-being overall. They can take better care of their families. So essentially, that's how economic freedom grows, once they have access to financial services. So then the the next step would be, okay, fine, that's a good thing, but how will you actually accomplish that? And um, the way we think about this is that we have three prongs. To our strategy so um, one is uh, the first one is the most obvious one which is crypto as the investment so this is currently the core of our business today it is the first use case that every crypto user ends up encountering right so it enables simple things like buy hold sell trade so in that uh, first prong we want to actually get to becoming the Amazon of assets. Like Anything that you want to be able to buy in terms of uh, crypto, as long as it is legal, we should be able to provide you access to that asset through Coinbase. We are not there yet, but that's a journey. That's, uh, that's one of the most important things we can get to in our first prong. And then the second thing that we are doing is using this foundation to build what we call the new financial system. So what does that mean? Well, once you have enough users in the crypto ecosystem, like new financial applications will tend to emerge. You have products like borrow, lend, payments, direct deposit, debit card, credit card, P2P, right? Bunch of things. And uh, you also can have advanced services like margin derivatives. So overall, what we think is that users should be able to use their Coinbase account as their primary financial account. So that's, that's what we are developing towards, right? So started with just as an investment, but then building a fully, fully capable financial account that you can access many, many things through it, right? And then finally, the third prong is super interesting. This is making crypto as an app platform. So we have had now what, around nine years of, um, eight to nine years of building the primitives that are, very complex, right? In terms of key management and storage of assets, so we we want to expose these primitives, and we continue to build many, many more primitives too, all the time. How do we expose these primitives and enable the crypto ecosystem to flourish? So, how can we become the like the cloud provider equivalent, like the AWS for crypto, and um, and that is fascinating, right? Like developers and enterprises don't have to reinvent the wheel. They can build their applications on what we provide as a service. And then on top of that, we can provide distribution of their applications to the millions of users that use Coinbase to access the primary financial account.
0: That's pretty interesting. Uh, you got, you got right? my, mind, my mind turning now. You guys going to have some bots on there? I license some trading bots.
1: (laughs) No, uh, we don't have any trading bots. Um, But yeah, I think it's a very compelling uh, overall prospect, right? Like, if you think about it, I feel uh, the entire crypto ecosystem is just at the beginning right now. And what it can deliver is uh, amazing. Like, who knew in the 90s that you and I could be having this conversation on what we call the internet? And uh, similarly, at this point, I think what is getting built is the next layer of internet on top of what we have today, which is the internet of information. So the thing on top of that, uh, this is the internet of value, right? And uh, the applications are just starting to emerge. So this is going to be fascinating. And we are in the very, very early days.
0: I'm excited. What What's like a, a typical day for you at Coinbase?
1: So we have... Uh, worked on uh, aligning our meetings to like a smaller portion of the day so nine to three ends up in i'm in pacific time zone we end up using that time for uh, check-ins for reviews so that ends up filling the day um and then um there is lots of async work that happens <laughs> there's lots of slack that happens and um I will say it is, it is challenging, right, to uh, prioritize the things that are most important. So you have to be very uh, disciplined about it on the things that you want to accomplish on a given day. Otherwise, you can get sucked in into everything um, that is coming at you. <laughs> so you have to be able to prioritize things that only you can do, as I said earlier, right, and uh, make forward progress on that. Even if a little bit at a time, But continue to push on that. So that's what I try to balance, unblock others and push forward.
0: Is that what you use those three pillars to help figure out, like prioritization?
1: They help. Uh, They're not necessarily in particular priority order. I think they all three need to happen. They're just in different time horizons, I would say. So, crypto as an investment would be more of a short term time horizon, right? So, we are currently on this path to add as many assets as fast as possible, right? As long as they're legal. Then there are these other businesses we are building, which is um, like next longer term horizon, like medium term, I would say, which is a fin- crypto as a financial system. And then the third one is a longer term horizon, which is which requires us to kind of rethink how we have built our software, build them in an API first way, so that all the services that we are building will uh, continue to, will, will can be exposed, I would say externally in a way that we use it ourselves. Now, just because it's a longer-term horizon doesn't mean it is less important. It actually is longer-term horizon because it probably requires a lot more investment in it. So it makes it even more urgent to start sooner than later. Like there was this uh, advice i had heard long ago that things that uh, are going to take the longest are the most urgent to start now. So we will not try to be arbiters and judges of what users should use users should decide we will give them all the information so that they can make sound decisions on their own on what they should invest their money in our job is to make sure that they have access to everything that crypto economy has to offer and that they should be able to do it all through coinbase
0: yeah no i agree like what's the deal with ripple because like i loved ripple it was there and then it just one day it's like you can't buy it anymore i know that they had some issue but like, how do you guys, do you have a team that helps make these decisions?
1: Yeah. So for Ripple specifically, what happened is the SEC said that it is a security.
0: Oh, okay. They ruled it was like a security at some point in time. And then that made you change accordingly. Got it.
1: Yeah. So we had to comply and, uh, that's our, that's our stance in general. Right. So there are many things that are going to be in the gray and, uh, we don't want to be making decisions on behalf of the government. So we think uh, as long as it is not being deemed that thou shall not list it, we will list it. And then if we are told that this is not something that is viable, that is uh, legal from their perspective, our job is to comply.
0: Who is doing this? Is there like a specific cryptocurrency task force in the U.S. government?
1: There is, I think there are a bunch of agencies so SEC is probably one of the biggest ones that uh, is very active in this space. I don't know who else. There is, a, There's I think, CFTC is another one. And there are a few other agencies that are taking active interest in this.
0: They're probably just doing it a la carte as things come up, right? Like some, some no. issue arises, they put out some memorandum that says, you know, no longer yes. XRP is officially. But there's not necessarily... Like a, a table of like acceptable and unacceptable currencies on no. some government website somewhere. Got it. It's, no, kind, of, it's kind of gray. It's kind of, it's, it's hard. Yeah.
1: It is hard, right? It is new. And I think um, these things, it's, it's very natural for these things to happen, right? Like things get ignored for way too long initially. And then uh, once they become real, <laughs> that's when um, I think people end up uh, reacting. So I would say, uh, I don't know if you've heard this framework, but like all almost all technologies end up going through these phases, right? They are initially a joke uh, until uh, they become a threat. And then eventually they become obvious. <laughs> so I would say, uh, I if that. I were to say something... I mean, that's probably true with things like Amazon, right? Books, uh, it was probably a joke and then became a threat to all the booksellers and then it became obvious, probably true with YouTube, um, true with uh, Spotify, uh, any, even Microwave, any technology that you want to apply. I think this um, th- that probably holds. So I would say crypto economy and crypto ecosystem is no longer a joke. It is people acknowledge that it is likely here to stay, right? And uh, but it is being perceived as a is a threat. Okay, we ignored it for too long. We now need to figure out how to actually make it viable.
0: I was reading about you know kids that are getting their first time jobs that they are taking all of their paycheck and converting it to crypto the moment they get it because they they're like this is the future. And so when I see the sixteen year olds doing that, I'm like, uh oh, yeah, I, I better keep up with them.
1: Yeah, there you go. So it is clearly on its uh, way to becoming more and more mainstream and
0: obvious. So any interesting, I don't know if we had this planned or not, but do you have any interesting upcoming announcements or anything that just came out for Coinbase? I'm, I'm actually
1: very excited about the recent change and how we think about our, our product strategy. Would that help?
0: Yeah, let's do that.
1: Okay, let's do that. So uh, the one thing that we are doing is, um, at, the, at the summary level, I would call it embracing decentralization. But I have to give you some context before that. So until now, uh, the way we have built products is that we have said, you know what, we want to take all this crypto complexity and hide it for the user and let the user just access Coinbase as if they're accessing a very regular traditional account. They buy something, they hold it, and that is it, right? And of course, we build all these features for them as crypto economy develops. But then by doing that, what you have to do is, As the crypto ecosystem comes up with new applications, we have to make changes in our entire stack because we have hidden away the complexity of crypto, so to speak. So we have to continue to work on hiding that additional complexity that is getting invented so that users can use the new protocols, the new applications that are being built in the crypto ecosystem. So an example would be uh, something like a lend or a borrow, which uh, something which is being built in crypto using a decentralized protocol. But to make it accessible to the user, we have to kind of hide that complexity. So that's how we have been working on it until now. Um, the insight here is that we need to shift how we build our products and not worry about hiding that one piece of complexity, which is called segregated wallet, which is a, a way for a user to have direct access to a wallet on the blockchain. That's what we were hiding so that the users don't have to worry about that complexity. But now we are saying that, you know what, we will actually have to embrace that. We will be, we have to, it creates other problems in the sense that it creates challenges, I would say, which uh, is to create an amazing UX despite exposing this capability. But once you expose this idea that a user has direct access to the wallet, it essentially opens the doors for enabling any application that is being built in the crypto ecosystem and having the user have access to it day one. So that is like a massive uh, change in how we are thinking about our products. And it uh, brings us closer to um, like a more open platform in some sense, right? It's very exciting for the engineering team because you are Building uh, the crypto aspects into the entire stack in some sense. You're not trying to hide the complexity away. It, if you were to draw a comparison, it is like uh, comparing the AOL closed system previously to a Chrome or a just browser that gives you access to anything out there, right? And you use your own judgment as a user what do you want to participate in or not?
0: Give the power to the people. That's a, that's a good strategy
1: right it also speaks to the ethos of uh, of decentralization in some sense because why should we decide what applications the user can access to or not we should uh, let the users decide give them access to everything that is out there day one
0: yeah and then you handle like the security side of things and some basic like infrastructure concepts and exactly. allow them to there's you have a button in in the app that says um like borrow you can borrow based off of your Currency, so yeah. that's that's not like a Coinbase bank. That's just using the decentralized, um, like loan-type protocols, decentralized finance.
1: Yeah. So uh, what we have today is um, this is still trying to hide the complexity, honestly. But you could imagine uh, opening the doors for the user to say that I want to use the protocol provided by Compound or Aave, some particular protocols that actually provide this capability, and the user can decide. Which ones they want to use, in addition to Coinbase potentially also providing their own services alongside, right? Which could be built in a decentralized way, like a protocol on the blockchain, or it could be built in a centralized way where we actually are directly providing that service to the user and the user decides what they want to use.
0: I want to talk a little bit about security because I've had like a number of really interesting security people on the show in the past couple months. Um, specifically one was called now secure with David Weinstein. That was a good episode, but, uh, we were talking about app security, their whole thing, their whole company that's built around the concept of app security specifically. And then I was like, all right, well, I've got my money at Coinbase. Uh, I don't, I know you're not the CISO. All right. Just, I know you probably have teams of teams of people, right? So I'm not looking for that type of answer, What I am curious about um, and we can talk about security as as a whole, as far as funds. What I am curious about is how do you think about your? You have these engineers, and you have a lot of them, right? And they need the flexibility. And a lot of them come from cloud first type environments. They need the flexibility to do their job and what they need to do. But we're also in this like highly regulated banking thing. How do you make it like easy for the developers, but also secure for them to do their jobs?
1: So, um, I'll I'll share my experiences from the past and compare it to Coinbase, right? So, at uh, previous companies, I felt security was a layer that had to be put on top. People were not thinking about security as a security-first mindset. It was considered a tax, right? So, it was honestly like um, it was painful to go over security, to go through security reviews as new products are launching. Now, in hindsight, all for good reason. But um, that's how the mentality was. And of course, when you have that kind of a mindset, it's a uphill battle, it uh, creates a lot of friction. But at Coinbase, it has been built from the ground up with the security first mindset. right? It was built in a time when um, it was not clear, like, whether it is going to be even safe for people to be able to buy into crypto. So Coinbase's promise was to build the most trusted way to to buy and hold crypto. So with that mindset, I would say security is in the DNA, is in the fabric of how the company is built, which is amazing, right? So it actually makes the job pretty easy in terms of um, from, from a culture standpoint, the culture just supports the investment in security.
0: I like that. That's awesome. Yeah, I heard heard something similar. Um, I think his name is uh, Bryson Kohler. He was uh, or he is the CTO at I think Equifax. I could be wrong, but he came on and I was, and he, you know, I, they had that big security breach several years ago, and he was the person that came in after. And when I was asking him about like how that was coming in, he said that they they shifted from a culture of um bolt on like bolting it bol- bolting security on to baked in and i was like oh that's a nice that sounds nice right from bolt on to baked in Yeah. And i like that yeah it sounded good and i was like that makes sense right if you make it's like uh gummy vitamins right if you make the the healthy thing good then you're going to get a bunch of people that enjoy that and it's just going to it's going to be in the root of it and then it'll express itself as the organization grows.
1: Yeah. And uh, trust is at the foundation of what we have built as a company, right? So that is in some sense, some I sometimes say that that is the key product that we have built, which is trust. And uh, how do you do that? Security, right? Security is the most important aspect. I would say even more important than reliability. So that's the one thing like I had we we did this major push internally in terms of showing up the reliability of our infrastructure. But I'll say the one thing that is more important than reliability is security.
0: Yeah, you guys have been really reliable. I mean, I've been a customer for a couple of years. You're um, always, I know this is not you but like the, the company is always really direct. They let you know when there's issues that you can look at their you have status pages, you can see all the things and how everything's working. And uh, when there are open issues, you can watch how they're resolving them. And so I think you guys have done a great job as far as communication. And I'm, I'm definitely a happy, a happy customer.
1: Great. Thank you, Joel. Yeah.
0: I just recently joined uh, the Coinbase Pro to get i've started writing oh, awesome. some scripts and getting interested in that and i was like i need the api and then i was like oh go over to coinbase pro you can get an api and then you can start learning about how this stuff's working at a lower level than me just being a consumer yep yeah. Agreed. What's, Cl- what's coin cloud
1: what is coinbase cloud you mean So, yes, that essentially is the third prong of our strategy, right? How do we become the app platform? I should say it's part of the third prong. So essentially, building, uh, using or creating the, using crypto as an app platform. Maybe that's how I should say it. So there are two aspects of this, um, of that strategy. One is uh, to get to a place where we can have many other applications be exposed through Coinbase for users to use. But Coinbase Cloud specifically, that is a way for us to expose our products as APIs, as platforms for other companies and developers to build applications on top.
0: Is this so out yet? It truly
1: is. Say that again?
0: Is this out yet? Like, is this visible publicly? Yes,
1: yes. Oh. Yeah, so we actually we did, we did acquire a company called Bison Trails. Have you heard of it?
0: No, no, no. I want to look this okay, up on so how, c- how do I find this Coinbase Cloud thing? Just search using your
1: favorite search engine. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Because you're on the call, I'll use Google. There we go. (laughs) There it is. It's right there. Build the crypto economy with Coinbase. Our APIs make it easy to build and connect your app to 40 million Coinbase customers, integrate cryptocurrencies and more. And you got documentation. Look at that. I've got something new to read tonight, my friend.
1: Perfect. So, yeah, I mean, uh, there are uh, underlying APIs that we could provide, right, which are like basic crypto primitives for you to build applications. And then, of course, we could also expose APIs of the products so that you could build value added features on top of what we already provide.
0: I like it. I'm excited. I'm excited to explore that. You guys are leading the future. Do you ever talk with uh, Shri over at, he's a CTO over at PayPal? No, I have not spoken to him. Oh man. You should like, I think you guys would have interesting conversations. He was talking with me about the, the future of payments and he uses this example of um, like, when's the last time you paid for your, for a lift? Well, and the answer is you don't pay for the lift. It, your payment method's there. It's these transparent, like payments, uh, ambient payments is what he calls it. The payment just kind of happens. Payment happens, Yeah, exactly. and I was like, that is so cool. And he made my list as like one of my favorite brilliant people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, Joel, actually, uh, payments is just one of the first applications, right? But just think about uh, blockchain. What are they? Essentially, they are a distributed database, Right, uh, which is decentralized, they're permissionless. And what can you do with it? So, one next obvious thing that is very, very, very valuable is identity. So, you could actually be storing all the information about your capabilities, the attestations that you have, or the um, certifications you have. So, let's say you're a US citizen, your age, or your credit rating, all those things, they can all be on the blockchain. And you could participate in certain products without sharing your entire PII. Because today what you have to do is you have to give your entire life story to a particular product if you want to get something in return, if you want to participate in that product. But here we are talking about using the blockchain as a way to share only the specific attributes that are necessary that can be shared with the service provider and they can believe you because it is on the blockchain.
0: It's interesting. It's like um, um, Sir Tim Berners-Lee, the creator of the web, uh, he's working on, I don't know, some people call it like a second internet, but it's, he. Ex- he came on the show and he explained to me everything. But the way you just described how you could do that with your information sounds a lot like the technology they're building. And when I hear things that are similar like that from different groups of people, you can kind of feel like as a as a group, we're all moving in this sort of direction. And that makes me happy.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: This is great, man. You're brilliant. I love it. This is so much fun. I want, I've got some leadership questions. Can we go, can we talk a little bit yeah, about some leadership it. stuff? Okay. So if you could design the perfect leadership training program for your direct reports, specifically, not just for everybody that coming for your direct reports, what would the most important two or three things be?
1: Um, maybe I'll pick the things that I have benefited from the most, right? And uh, share those. So, um, one phrase I had heard was, uh, no transaction is worth a relationship. And I think that has really sat with me, resonated with me. So what, what is the takeaway from that? I think one is obviously people are the most important asset, right? For the company. We say that, uh, I think uh, we should mean it. But even more importantly, the relationships are key. That's how things get done. Relationships are important because that, that trust is important between people to be able to actually, as teams, work on something. I don't know if you have, uh, are you familiar with the five dysfunctions of a team? And one of the first foundation layers in there, which Patrick Kinsioni talks about, is um, is trust. Like Without that, you can't have an effective team. So so i'll go back to that right which is trust relationships so no transaction is worth a relationship the other one is um, is resilience and like uh, being able to um, lean into the ambiguity right embrace ambiguity not fear it so one phrase that uh, is is pithy is guideline guidelines not
0: rules i like that
1: so i think uh, it's very easy for us as engineers to be to want to distill everything down to a very specific uh, algorithm right like a if then statement like a flowchart that you can just follow through <laughs> because that's how our minds work as engineers however as leaders we have to embrace ambiguity all the time right there is uh, nothing i mean there is there's going to be many things that come at us and we don't have the protocol predefined. Whatever we had works maybe for 80%, but not for 100%. So, leaving that room open for judgment is pretty important, but it creates nervousness amongst people sometimes.
0: Yeah. yeah and you're exactly right. That is how my mind works. And I learned really quickly uh, like, it doesn't work well when you're uh, like with your spouse or like with my wife. <laughs> I can predefined stuff and I have to learn to embrace the ambiguity of being as late as she wants us to be. <laughs> but, but that's that's what we like to do though. Um I like this ambiguity conversation because I haven't had it much, and it makes a lot of sense, and it feels right to me. But you're right. part of part of the fun of of projects and solving problems is taking the ambiguous thing and sort of piecing it apart and making it tangible and bringing, you know, imagination into reality. And um, yeah. once I heard uh, John Mayer, he's a musician, talk about writing songs, and he's like, sometimes you can feel it and you know, it's there, but like, you just don't tease it apart too quickly. It's like knowing how quickly to tease apart. The ambiguity is actually like an art form and because it has to go with time. You can't just do it all at once. Like you can't solve the entire problem just like at once. Um, and so I thought that was like really enlightening to hear.
1: Yeah. And the other thing uh, more recently I have uh, come across this a few times. I think we, this is about strengths and uh, weaknesses, areas of development, right? That kind of stuff, and what does feedback do for people? So I feel um, we we need to, I think, rethink uh, how we give feedback, right, and how we um, build upon strengths. So I think the very traditional, again, very engineering mindset, right? Like when you get told that hey, there is an area of development for you or some weakness, you just want to go fix it, right? But It's important to realize that if something is not coming natural to you, you you're likely going to at best become mediocre at it, not not great at it. And uh, what makes a team work is that you have people with different skills that they are great at put together, right? And the way you want to think about areas of development is more about hey, is this area of development coming in the way of me accomplishing the greatness I could accomplish with the strengths? And remedy it only to that part. Don't try to make become great at that area of development, (laughs) because it's not going to be natural, right?
0: I'm a big fan of doubling down on your strengths. And uh, for me, it's an interesting process because it's a journey of you you're growing and you're finding the areas where you're better and so you're saying okay let's spend some more time over there and they kind of you know like a tree it kind of like splits and branches and then you slowly get better and better and better at one thing and those are the people who are known i mean the people who are like ridiculously good at one thing are the ones that go really far because they have so much trust across people they have so much social capital for being good at that you can employ them quickly to solve an an issue in that area and have a high level of confidence, it's going to get done the first time.
1: Right. Yeah, so if uh, I were to um, have a training material for my directs or the leadership team, as you said, right, it will be about um, look at the positives, look at the strengths of the team members and uh, double down on them, right? build the team that collectively has all the strengths the team needs and individual may not have that strength, have all of them.
0: I love it. I love it. And then uh, last one, as we wrap up here on the leadership, uh, what's the most difficult impactful leadership lesson that you've had to learn?
1: There are a f- few come to mind. Um, I think the most important one is wasn't necessarily difficult, but it's something that you learn early and I learned early is uh, really putting the company ahead of the team ahead of yourself. And um, I think it definitely is one of the most impactful lessons because it is, again, very natural as coming into the industry, you want to just okay optimize for what you want to get done. It may not be the best thing for the company, right? So really zooming back out and uh, thinking what is right for the company overall and... Um, and working backwards from there
0: i I like that's deep because i uh, one of the people that i listen to what do they say they say um if you help people get what they want you'll get what you want and so by you having that mentality and making sure the company is successful you were taken care of as well totally yeah dude that's good that's good stuff
1: yeah are there,
0: are there any other topics manish that we want to cover while we're here we've got a few more minutes if you'd like
1: no i'll say um, one thing i'll say is uh, to the viewers and listeners is that um, if if you have been avoiding learning crypto right uh, like i'll just share my story right so like i came across uh, crypto and bitcoin early in when it started like in 2010s early 2010s but then I ignored it for the most part until I got reintroduced to it uh, more recently, before joining Coinbase. And um, I would say that uh, if if you are a technologist and you are in like in this space, you're an engineer. Uh, we are just at the beginning of a massive transformation, right? And crypto is uh, going to be one of the key vehicles to make that happen. Now, this is like uh, this is like the dawn of the day one of the entire. Crypto journey—it's a very exciting journey. So, if you have been avoiding it, I would say now is the time. Do it. You owe it to yourself. Learn something about crypto because it is—it is actually a very revolutionary change, and um, we are just at the beginning.
0: Any good um, YouTube channels or visual resources that you learn help help you understand crypto?
1: There is uh, lots. I would say uh, the one source that I picked up some information from early on is uh, from A16Z, and Andreessen Horowitz's website. It's called the Crypto Canon. And if you just search uh, for it, you should find that as one of the top links.
0: Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn